Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Now let's look to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you today that we can once again join together in this place and meet together online for those that cannot make it here. We thank you for the privilege of being able to minister your word, being able to fellowship together, to worship together. We pray that, Lord God, as we spend this time now around your word, that you minister unto us. We pray that, Lord, you challenge us by your word, instruct us by its truth. May we uh, glean from your word today that which you would have for us. And I pray that you'd help me, Father, to be uh, faithful to your word today. Help me to have a clarity of thought and wisdom of speech, Father God. And may your word be a blessing to our hearts. Guide our time now, we pray in your word. We'll be sure to give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, God's Word contains many great and wonderful doctrines. And one of the great doctrines of the Word of God would have to be the doctrine of sanctification. You know, the Lord wants you and I, desires for you and I to be holy as He is holy. Now, it's true, this side of glory, we will not be perfect. Each and every one of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior will sin because we have this old flesh ever with us, but God's desire for you and I is that you and I would have victory over sin. And to that end, Paul, here in Romans chapter 6, explains to us there are certain things that you and I need to know. And one of those things that we need to know, according to verse 2, is that we are dead to sin. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? One thing God wants us to know is that we are dead to sin. And to illustrate this truth, Paul takes the, uh, uh, the uh, uh, image of baptism, the ordinance of baptism, to clearly state that God has indeed declared that by our salvation, by our justification, you and I have indeed been given the means of victory over sin. And Paul asks here in verse 4, Know ye not? Don't you understand that it's salvation we were identified with Christ in his death. That's verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us were baptized in Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. And now he goes on to say, don't you know that at salvation we were also buried with him by baptism into his death. Verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into his death. Now this baptism, of course, is not water baptism. This is not the baptism that we have down at the river where we go down and somebody declares they, they've trusted Jesus Christ to save and we place them in the water and we baptize them by immersion. That's not what's been referred to here in Romans chapter 6. Of course it alludes to that but that's not what it's talking about. It's talking rather about the baptism that happens at salvation where you and I are placed into the body of Christ. The baptism of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 13 where it says we're all baptized by one spirit into one body. You and I at salvation are placed into the body of Christ. You and I at salvation are placed into Christ. We're baptized, we're immersed into him. We're identified with him. So where once we were identified with Adam, and all that was true of Adam in the Garden of Eden when he sinned is true, was true of us, 
So you and I now, because of our salvation, are identified with Christ, and all that's true of Christ at his victory of the cross is true of us. Now Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, here at the beginning, this is an odd form of expression. Where it says, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into his death. And it's often been misunderstood. I mean, how can you be buried into his death? How can you be buried before you die? I mean, that's what it seems to be saying. You're buried into his death. Okay, because normally death comes first and then you're buried after that. So how, how does this phrase, what does this phrase mean? What does it say? Why does he take the trouble to make this statement where we're buried into his death? Well, what it means is this. The burial is the final proof of death. Okay? When you and I die, the final proof of that death is the burial. Now, in the relation here, we're talking about Christ, and it's talking about the fact that we are baptized into, uh, we're buried with him by baptism into his, his death. Okay? So it's the death of the Lord speaking about here. And Christ's burial is absolute proof that in fact he did die. In the fullest sense of the word, when Christ died on the cross of Calvary, the proof of that death is his burial. The proof that he died is they took him down from the cross, they wrapped him in the grave clothes, and they put him in the tomb, and they sealed the tomb. That was proof of his death upon the cross. And burial emphasizes the completion, the finality of death. You know, you and I might look upon a body that appears to be dead. But if there's any doubt, if there's any query about the state of that body, that that body may not yet be dead, we won't bury that body until it's absolutely certain that that person is indeed dead. The act of burial, so to speak, is a kind of certificate that a person is really and completely dead. Burial is the final event that happens to all of us, which proves the certainty of the fact of death. And so when a person dies, what happens? When a person dies and is buried, he is finished, the, 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 that signals, when that person is placed in the ground, it signals that he is entirely and completely finished with this life. Completely, entirely finished with this world and all that belongs in this world. When you lower that body into the ground and you put the earth over that body, that is the end. The buried person has finished with this life and with this world and will never again engage in the events of this life and this world. It's the cessation. It's gone. It's finished. Never again will they walk this world as they did before they were buried. Never again will they speak. Never again will they engage in eating and entertainment and all the things in life. Now that they're dead, they're buried, they are in the ground. Burial is the finality of it all. So when Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism and death, we are buried with him, emphasizes the completion of the separation of the believer from sin. Our being buried with Christ marks the end of our being under the reign and realm and rule of sin. That's why he says it this way, we're buried 
with him by baptism into his death, the burial in his death. You and I have died with Christ. When he died on Calvary, we died. When he was buried, we were buried. The reality is that you and I partook in that. What he did at Calvary is now ours because of our relationship to him, because we're in Christ. You and I have been separated from this world. There is a separation of you and I from the realm and the rule of sin in our lives. Paul's point is this, that something dramatic, something life-changing happened in the life of the believer when we got saved. You see, you and I were not just delivered from the penalty of sin at salvation. And that's a glorious truth. Justification would have to be by far one of the greatest doctrines of the Word of God that you and I have been declared righteous in Jesus Christ and that you and I stand before Almighty God clothed in His righteousness, the imputed righteousness of Christ, has to be one of the greatest truths of God's Word. But it didn't end there. You see, you and I are not just justified, but when you and I were saved, something life-changing, something glorious, something wonderful happened in our lives when we got saved. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism and his death. Now, it's interesting, this phrase, are buried, the words are buried, are what's called an aorist passive. Now, I'm not going to dazzle you with Greek today, simply just to say this, that what it means is that this happened in the past. That's the aorist part. Okay? We, we were buried. We were buried. This has happened. This took place. It's not that we're going to be buried. We were buried. It happened in the past. And the passive means that God took care of the funeral arrangements. He's the one who buried us. Okay? We were buried. Aris passive. We were buried by somebody else. We were not, we didn't bury ourselves. Okay? Just like any funeral. The person's body's lying there. They don't bury themselves, okay? They don't carry their own casket to the, uh, the grave and bury themselves. You don't do that. Well, the same is true here. When it came to your, your salvation and my salvation, we were, we've already been buried by God at uh, our relationship with Jesus Christ through salvation. God made all the funeral plans. This is something that God did on our behalf. You and I have been buried from this reign and realm of sin by God. And the truth here is this, that all who have been justified, all of us who have been saved have been in the past immersed into his death. We were with him in his burial. And indeed, with him in his resurrection. Because the rest of verse 4 goes and say, like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. You and I, were, we died with him, we were buried with him, and we will rise. We have risen with him. The point is that we can't die and rise again without it changing our lives. The whole emphasis of Romans chapter 6 is that at salvation... Not only are we saved, but there was a change made in us for this life. So that you and I potentially can be holy as he is holy. 
so that you and I potentially can be sanctified, so that you and I potentially can live from glory to glory unto the glory of God. What happened at salvation, the change took place in you and me. The believer has a real spiritual death and a real spiritual resurrection with Christ. And Paul goes on to say here in verse 4, he says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism of his death, that like as Christ. Now the word that here is the Greek word which can be translated in order that. In other words, what he's about to tell us is the reason why you and I have been buried with him into his death at baptism. Why it is that when you and I got saved, we were placed into Christ and identified with Christ in his death and identified with Christ in his burial. Here's the reason why that all happened. In order that we might indeed partake in his resurrection. We have died and been buried with him in order that, for the reason that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we also should walk in the newness of life. Now notice then, not only are we buried with him by baptism of death, but because of our new relationship that that brings to you and I, we have also risen with him. We're alive. We're spiritually alive. See, when Adam sinned, Adam died firstly spiritually. And when you and I were born, we were all dead spiritually. But when you and I got saved, Ephesians tells us we were quickened, we were made alive, we are spiritually alive. Now why have we been made spiritually alive? Well, Paul now tells us. Because, you see, you and I are alive so that we can walk in the newness of life. So secondly this morning, notice we're to, we can walk in the newness of life. Verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism of his death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Now it says here, was raised. Notice what it says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into his death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead. Now, was raised here is speaking of a time in the past. It's, it's a past event. Was raised. What's in view here in verse 4 is Christ's literal resurrection. Okay? Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And if we've been baptized into his death, we've also been raised with him with the result that we should walk in the newness of life. His resurrection enables you and I to walk in the newness of life. It says should walk. Even as it says in verse 4 there, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in the newness of life. Now, a bit of Greek again. The should walk is an aorist and subjunctive this time. And it means this. So what's being talked about here is looking at our walk as one thing from beginning to end. Okay? This is talking about the whole of our sanctification. This is from glory to glory. Okay? From our justification to our glorification is in view here. That the whole time that you and I are on this earth, from the moment we're saved to the moment we go home to glory, you and I should 
walk in newness of life. This speaks of an habitual conduct. That we are walking in the newness of life. What he's speaking about here is our present state. You and I are new creatures in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We are new creatures. This is our present state. We are walking in the newness of life. You and I are new creatures in Christ. The entirety of our sanctification is in view here. This is our present state. The word newness here in verse 4 is new in character, new in mode, a different life. And what's in view here is a, a life that's not dominated by sin, but rather a life that is separated from sin. We have a new life. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. Something happened at salvation and you and I were changed. Not only were we justified, but you and I were set apart under God to be holy as he is holy. A change took place. And you and I are to walk in the newness of life. We have a life that's not dominated by sin. We've been raised from the dead unto a different life. Now it all happened as salvation. That you and I died to sin. But you know, if all that happened as salvation was that you and I died to sin, then you and I would be unable to walk in sanctification. Because if we're dead to sin, then how can we ever live in any way? But you see, at salvation, not only were we declared dead to sin, we were quickened by his spirit so that we might walk in the newness of life. Not only are we dead to sin, but we rose again. As Christ died and was buried and rose again the third day, you and I were with Christ in his death, with Christ in his burial, with Christ in his resurrection. What happened at the resurrection, the power that rose Christ from the dead, is the same power that now quickens us, makes us alive, allows you and I to be new creatures in Christ Jesus, that you and I might walk in the newness of life. You and I now have at our disposal resurrection power. The same power that rose Christ from the dead is available to you and I daily to live in this newness of life. Look in Ephesians, please, chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. <clears throat> Verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us, Ward, who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead 
and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Here in Ephesians chapter 1, the apostle wants you and I to know the exceeding greatness of his power to us, Lord. He also wants us to know that, according, that this is according to the working of his mighty power in us. And where does his power come from? It's the power that was wrought in Christ when God raised from the dead. When God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he unleashed resurrection power for all of us. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is the power available to you and to me to enable us to walk in the newness of life. And that is exciting to know. It's a wonderful truth to know that you and I are saved and you and I have been given a new life. We're new creatures in Christ Jesus and God wants us to be holy as he is holy and God gave us the power to do that. You know, when you think of that verse in Peter where it says, be holy as I am holy, and you and I realize how much struggle we have as believers, it's hard to reconcile Peter with the reality of the Christian life, isn't it? You know, be holy as I am holy. That's God's command to you and I. He wants you and I to be holy as he is holy. It's not just say be holy, but be holy as he is holy. Now, God is holy, holy, okay? Everything about him is holy. And God wants you and I to be like him. And then we look in the mirror and what do we see? Do we see somebody who is holy like he is? <laughs> no. The reality of Christian life is this struggle, isn't it? You and I struggle with the flesh daily. We, we have a struggle with sin. How do we reconcile the two? Because Peter's talking about the potentiality of what God has done. God wants you and I to be holy as he is holy. And God says, I'm going to empower you to do it. See, it's not a personal struggle. This is not something that you and I in our flesh have to struggle with. It's not a battle that you and I have to fight in our own strength. God says, I want you to be holy and I'm going to unleash resurrection power for you at your salvation. The moment you are saved, you are buried with him in ba by baptism and you are into his death and you've risen again to the newness of life. I'm going to empower you to walk in that life. I'm going to give you all that you need to live holy in Christ Jesus. He says in 2 Peter that he's given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. It's a wonderful truth. God gave you and I everything we need to live godly lives. You and I were saved and then we were uh, uh, identified with Christ through that salvation and therefore you and I can now walk in the newness of life. Paul is not saying here that we ought to walk in the news of life. That you and I strive to do that. That you and I need to crucify self to do that. He is saying it's already happened. We already positionally are walking in the newness of life. We already positionally are new creatures in Christ Jesus. One of the best ways to illustrate this is the story of Lazarus. You know the story of Lazarus. Lazarus died in, Luke, in John chapter 11. In Luke chapter, John chapter 11, verse 14, the Lord said about Lazarus when he went to see him, remember Lazarus is dead, he said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. When Lazarus appeared at the door of the tomb, he appeared wrapped in his grave clothes. 
So Jesus commanded in John chapter, 14, uh, John chapter 11, verse 44, loose him and let him go. Now why did the Lord ask for Lazarus to be taken out of the grave clothes? Well, because he'd been raised to walk in the newness of life in a very practical way. Truth is, he didn't need the grave clothes anymore, did he? I mean, this was not going to be a standard wear as he went around the Middle East. He was not going to be wearing his grave clothes anymore. He'd been dead. He'd been wrapped in his grave clothes. He'd been buried, which is the identification that he actually was dead. In Lazarus' case, he'd been dead four days, and they said he stinketh, so we know that he'd been dead a long time. The Lord says, come forth, and he came forth. The Lord says, loose him, and they take off the grave clothes because he no longer needs those grave clothes. What he needs is his living clothes. He needs the clothes to go about his daily business. He needs his new clothes. He needs to change his clothing. And the truth is, beloved, in the same way, we don't need our grave clothes anymore. We've been raised to a newness of life. The grave clothes are not necessary. You and I are no longer in the grave. We were buried with him. Buried into his death by baptism. But we have risen again to a newness of life. We have new clothes. Now you and I may put them on from time to time but we don't need them. You see, the trouble with you and I is we forgot to burn them when we got saved. We kind of leave them in the closet. And from time to time, we go and find those old grave clothes. We put them on. And uh, the old flesh likes them. And so we put them on from time to time. We sin. But you know, after a while, they start to smell like grave clothes, don't they? They start to stink a bit. They start to feel uncomfortable. You think so about that, not only that, but you look in the mirror and you look a bit odd standing there in your grave clothes. And so we take them off and we put on our new clothes again because we are walking in the newness of life. We don't need those grave clothes anymore. We put them on from time to time, but we don't need them. Because we've been saved, we've been resurrected to a newness of life. One commentator put it this way. Too many Christians are betweeners. They live between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Believing in the cross, but not entering into the power and the glory of the resurrection. And I thought that was a pretty good illustration. See, Romans 6, chapter 4 teaches us that we share in his resurrection power today. This is not speaking about a future resurrection, although it does allude to that. Because one day we will be resurrected, one day we will be glorified, and you and I will have victory over the presence of sin. But in Romans chapter 6, he's talking about an event that's happened now. You and I have access to resurrection power today. Now in Romans chapter 6 and verse 5, Paul hammers the point even further. He changes his imagery from baptism to planting. Because he wants to, put, wants to emphasize the point even further. He wants us to really know this point about the resurrection. So he says, thirdly, we have been planted together with him. Look in verse 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. 
So now he talks about planting rather than baptism. Just in case we hadn't understood the imagery of baptism, he now wants us to understand the imagery of planting something. And he says in verse 5, for if. Now for if does not mean that there is any doubt about what he's about to say. The Greek word for if here means since. And he says, since we have been planted together in the likeness of death, that's a fact. He's just made that point in verses 1 through 4. He's made the point that when you and I were saved, we were identified with Christ in his death. Since we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. We have been planted together in the likeness of death. Then it must be a fact that we have been planted together in the likeness of his resurrection. The word planted together here, or the two words planted together here, mean united together, growing together. It expresses a close union between Christ and the believer. This union that we talk about that once we got saved, once we were in Adam, and all that was true of Adam had what he did in the garden became true of us because he was our representative in the garden, our federal head. Jesus Christ is our second Adam and because of our faith in him, we've been placed into him and everything that he did for us at Calvary is now true of us because we're identified with him through our salvation. You and I have this close union with him. We're growing together with him. Morris says this, the phrase, express, uh, the phrase to planted together exactly expresses the process by which a graft becomes united in the life of a tree. The union is of the closest sort, and life from Christ flows through to him. This planted together fits well with the imagery of John chapter 15, where Christ says that I am the vine, ye are the branches. Abide in me, and I in you. If any man abide in me, he shall bring forth much fruit. The imagery here is that you and I have been grafted into Christ and the life that flows through him is flowing through us as it flows through the stem to the grafted branch. The life then flows into that grafted branch from the stem. Jesus Christ is the vine. You, are, you and I are the branches. We've been grafted into Christ and the life that flows from him flows through us. Since you and I have been identified with him in his death, we will also likewise be in his resurrection. Now the phrase we have been means to have become. So when it says here, for if we have been, since we have become planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. We have become planted together. It's a statement of fact. It's not something that you and I are striving for. It's not something that you and I are hoping for. It's not something that you and I are working towards. This is a fact that when you and I got saved, we were planted together. We were closely entwined. You and I were united too. We were grafted into Christ at salvation. It's a fact. And once more, the, the emphasis here is on that intimate nature of the union between the believer and the Lord. It's a present reality. 
In fact, you cannot imagine a closer relationship than this. We're planted together in the likeness of his death and in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, why likeness of? Why that phrase in verse 5? For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death. Well, the truth is that's as close as we can go. You see, we will never know the suffering he knew. We cannot partake in his death. We cannot physically or spiritually go through what he endured upon the cross. That's not possible. You and I cannot take the nails in our hands like he did. We cannot have the thorns in our head like he did. We cannot feel the separation between the Father when God said, my, uh, uh, when Christ had to say to God, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You and I cannot experience in totality everything Christ experienced at Calvary. That's why it's the likeness of his death. We can't experience what he experienced. We could only bear... He could only bear the physical and spiritual torture of the cross. But in the spiritual realm, because you and I are baptized into Christ, and you and I have been planted into Christ, so also in the likeness of his resurrection, you and I will partake in the likeness of his resurrection. Paul says, when Christ died, I died. When Christ was buried, I was buried. And when Christ rose, I rose. And the reason God did this to me was so that I not only die to sin, but that I might be alive unto Christ, that I might live as Christ wants me to live, that I might live Christ's resurrection life in the likeness of his resurrection. These things are a reality to those who have been saved. This close reunion is both, for, both in his death and his resurrection. Paul expressed this in a similar way in Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3 and verses 10 and 11. Philippians 3, 10 and 11 that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, and be made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. As I said earlier, we have resurrection power available to us today. Let's not forget that. Paul says in Philippians, he says, I want to know him, I want to get to know the Lord intimately. I want to get to know him better every day that I might experience the power of the resurrection. I know that I have resurrection power because I've been raised with him. Now I want to live in that power, he says. Now the phrase shall be here in verse 5 where it says, we shall, also, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. The phrase shall be has led some to think that this only refers to the future resurrection, to the future literal bodily resurrection of the saint. Now it certainly includes that. 
Because Christ rose, we will also rise. There is a day coming when you and I will share in the glories of eternity forever in a resurrection body, and you and I will be raised either by the rapture or uh, via death, but you and I will one day stand on heaven's shore. You and I will be resurrected. We will be partakers of that physical resurrection. And so that certainly is true here, that that's in view. But if we say that's the only thing it means, then we're rendering pointless the argument of Romans chapter 6. Because the whole point of Romans chapter 6 is Romans chapter 6 verse 2. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? The whole thing he's answering is, how should you and I continue in sin in this life? Since you and I have died to sin, we've been buried with Christ and raised with Christ, and resurrection power is available to a day, the shall be in the likeness of resurrection cannot be confined simply to that eternal state, to the resurrection of the body. See, he's not arguing just about going, what's going to take place in heaven, but what's already happened. If we are united together in the likeness of his death, we are also united to him in the likeness of his resurrection. Our participation in the death of Jesus makes our participation in the resurrection a certainty, both now and eternally. It's far too easy for Christians to focus solely on this crucified life, failing to see that this is part, an essential part, of a bigger picture. Living the resurrected life. See, the Lord doesn't want you and I to focus on the crucified life. He wants us to focus on the resurrected life. That we're walking in the newness of life. He doesn't want to think about the fact that we've died with Christ he wants to think about the fact that we've risen with Christ. We can spend all our time thinking about what happened and the salvation of the ours, and that we were crucified with Christ. We can think about that. But Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. We're alive. He wants us to live by resurrection power. He wants us to enjoy this life. He wants us to walk in the news of life. He wants us to be holy as he is holy. He wants us not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That we might know what is that perfect and acceptable gift, uh, uh, will of God for our lives. He wants you and I to live by resurrection power. Living the resurrection life now, while we wait for the glorification of the body in the day of resurrection. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that resurrection life is available now, I don't have to wait till I get the glory to partake of it. I'm glad that I'm not just living a life that is buried with him by baptism into his death, but that I have also been risen again in the likeness of his resurrection. You see, when Christ arose, he walked, he talked, he ate, he, he had fellowship with 
believe others. Jesus Christ is alive. And he wants you and I to experience that same resurrection power. See, it's clear from Romans chapter 6 that the believer ought to live and not live in sin since we have a new relationship to sin because of our identification with Christ. The believer has died to the old life and he's been raised to enjoy the new life. In fact, we're going to go on in Romans chapter 6 and talk about the old man, which is dead. See, you and I should not want to go back to sin. You and I should not want to go back anymore and put on the grave clothes. We should be like Lazarus who was risen from the dead. He was loose. They laid aside the grave clothes and gave him his normal clothes. We should not want to go back and take on the dressing of the tomb. You and I should continue to live in the newness of life. If we're saved, then our desire should be that we don't sin. We will sin. But you and I should desire not to sin. We should desire to have the victory. You and I need to live the resurrected life. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, Father, for the wonderful truth of Romans chapter 6, that not only are we partakers in the death of Christ and the burial of Christ, but we are now recipients of the resurrection of Christ. We are given resurrection power to walk in the newness of life. Help us, Father God, day by day to lay off the grave clothes, to put on, Father God, the robes of righteousness that are ours through Jesus Christ and walk in the newness of life, walk in resurrection power to your glory. Bless now as we close, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.